This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. West Virginia has its own version of the Polar Express. Ahead, we'll visit the Christmas train at Cass State Park. Sing-alongs break out throughout the ride. Later, there will be a bake-off in town, and then bingo night. We'll have that story and more coming up on this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. One of the state troopers shot in a deadly Martinsburg confrontation Sunday night has lost part of his leg. Randy Yoey has more. After taking four gunshots, including two in the leg, West Virginia State Police Trooper Abe Bean's left leg was amputated above the knee on Monday. Trooper Caden Spessard, who was shot once in the Sunday night incident, has been released from the hospital. Bean and Spessard went to Tobias Ganey's residence Sunday night to serve an arrest warrant on a battery charge. State Police Major James Mitchell says Ganey refused to come out of his home, and when troopers went in, he opened fire. The troopers returned fire and killed Ganey. Dozens of West Virginia troopers and state police from Virginia have been at the Fairfax, Virginia Hospital to show support. Mitchell said State Police Superintendent Colonel Jack Chambers visited Bean on Monday. There was also a prayer service led by State Police current and former chaplains. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie. West Virginia has its own version of the Polar Express. Brianna Heaney rode along on the Christmas train at Cass State Park to see what this new offering is all about. Big white plumes of steam interlace with black torrents of smoke and sink down to the Greenbrier River, hovering just above the surface. Inside, the train carts are decorated with garland and ornaments. Families come prepared to this event with bags full of goodies and thermoses filled with hot chocolate. Sing-alongs break out throughout the ride. Later, there will be a bake-off in town, and then bingo night. All for the hundreds of weekend visitors to this little town that has a year-round population of 30 people. This is all part of an effort to keep Cass open later in the year and keep a steady flow of tourism through the town so that the history can be preserved. J.T. Arbogast has a long family heritage with this town. His great-grandfather owned the grocery store that rivaled the paper mill's company store. And he says his father wore out three cars driving to Charleston every week to lobby to have the town's history protected. He has been working to keep this town alive year-round. There wasn't anything past the fall, really. Once the leaves were done, the state shut things down and... So the, house, the houses and the town, was, it was pretty dark to come driving through here. The trains used to only be open for scenic rides in the summer and fall. But then, the president of the Durban and Greenbrier Valley Railroad Incorporated, John Smith, had the idea to start offering a Christmas train experience. And we thought, well, if we're going to be doing that, like, what, what's the way that we can create an experience for people who are coming into town? The town of Cass is an old lumbering town. Every home has the exact same build, and all the town buildings are painted white. 
There are three rows of identical homes, a community center, a barber shop the size of a shed, the rail station, and a large house on top of a hill where the mill owners lived. The town was founded in 1900. The first houses were built in 1901, and that's the road of houses that we're on now. That's Tammy Shoemaker. She grew up around Cass and now works as an information specialist for the Convention of Visitors Bureau at Snowshoe Mountain and Cass Scenic Railroad. She says the town was founded by the Virginia Pulp and Paper Company, which is now the multi-billion dollar paper company Mead West of Vaco. They chose to set up in Cass because... They needed red spruce timber to make paper. Which grows several miles from Cass, in small circles, in some of the highest country in the state, around 4,500 feet in elevation. The red spruce was carted down by train and processed at the sawmill in Cass. The whole operation went on like this for around 50 years and created a bustling economy for the area. At its peak, the town had more than 2,000 residents. Yeah, (laughs) it was a busy town. And that's not counting the the wood hicks that lived up on the mountain. The mountain men responsible for timbering the red spruce only came down to Cass every six months. They would cash their paychecks, head across the river, and party for a few days before heading back up the mountain. In 2018, Cass and the scenic railroads around it became a state park. Superintendent Marshall Markley says it takes a lot of work and collaboration to keep this park going. But he says there is nothing quite like it. Yeah, there's, there are other historical parks, but there's none quite like Cass. We're probably uh, the best example of a historic railroad logging town in its um, most complete version. You know, So we have uh, the railroad portion, of course, and uh, the company houses and the company store, the depot, and all the supporting buildings, which in you know, a lot of company towns, um, only a few pieces of that survive. All this history and more is preserved, which Arborgast says is an uncommon fate for little towns like Cass. Cass was destined to become what so many of these towns become, which is a memory, right? Gone. But Cass remains through constant repairs to quickly built aging homes, special engineering of steam powered trains, and a group of people who keep finding creative ways to push this town forward. We're the only place in the country that has these three kinds of steam locomotives under steam and working. Um, That's worth celebrating. The fact that these buildings, these houses, the history that's here is still here, that's worth preserving and celebrating. And figuring out the ways in which you honor that history but carry it forward in a new way for another generation. Beginning in January, the oldest logging locomotive in the world will be running. There are other holiday-themed trains like a Halloween train during October, and through the summer and fall, there are scenic rides through the mountains. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Cass. A state bureau brought an expert out of retirement to study West Virginia's Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Waiver Program and take a closer look at its state-run psychiatric hospitals. Emily Rice has more. 
Bob Hansen is the former director of the West Virginia Office of Drug Control Policy. He was recently brought out of retirement by the Bureau for Behavioral Health to study and evaluate the state's treatment programs for the state's approximately 33,000 individuals living with an intellectual or developmental disability, or IDD. 6,000 of these individuals are currently being served by the uh, IDD uh, waiver program, and then we also have 530 individuals who are on the wait list to enter that program. And today we have approximately 73 individuals who are IDD who are in our two state hospitals. In a presentation to the Joint Committee on Health, Hansen said he began the work in May and spent a lot of time at William R. Sharp and Mildred Bateman Hospitals, meeting with staff and becoming familiar with patients. He also met with community providers in the state. There are quite a few IDD waiver providers. I've not met them all, but I've made a uh, serious attempt to listen to what the issues are from the provider point of view. Hansen also said he has maintained communications with Disability Rights of West Virginia to listen to their concerns and provide updates on his work. One of the first things Hansen recognized was the need for experts in treating IDD individuals working in the two state hospitals. So we were able to identify local experts, Dr. Scotty, for example, who has now begun working at Sharp to uh, work specifically with individuals with IDD and help those individuals in transition. Hansen also assessed the state's intermediate care facilities, or ICFs. We needed to look at uh, such issues as capacity and what those, uh, what individuals were being served throughout the community in various group homes. Finally, Hansen, with Christina Mullins, Commissioner of the Bureau for Behavioral Health, worked under the guidance of the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources to establish a retrospective review process for individuals admitted to either of the state's two psychiatric hospitals. Hansen said he sees three broad areas that are barriers to moving individuals with IDD from state hospitals to the community. The first, he said, is lack of oversight. We need someone within West Virginia that is coordinating activities across different departments, within departments, someone who's working on the big picture of what needs and, and what services and what direction we need to take. Mullins suggested the state hire and train a qualified person to serve as the director for IDD services. Bob is on contract. He is already talking about reducing his hours. Um, and we'd like for that person to be able to develop a strategic plan. The second barrier to discharging patients from Sharp and Bateman hospitals to a community setting, according to Hansen, is a lack of workforce. And you all are hearing continuously about different workforce issues in West Virginia, and it is no different in serving in, uh, people with IDD. Uh, I don't know the exact number of openings in our community agencies, but just in talking with an, an agency that provides community-based services, they have 600 employees, they have 1,000 openings. Hansen cited a severe lack of specialists who can work effectively with people with IDD, like those trained in positive behavior support or applied behavioral analysis. 
These are individuals that can work with uh, patients, clients who are identifying and having serious issues and can be a support in a con uh, for the direct service staff in helping to develop active treatment plans to address uh, the behavioral issues that may be uh, uh, becoming uh, more and more of a concern. The third area of concern, and a reason the state has so many people in its state behavioral hospitals, is a lack of discharge planning. He said it needs to be a more interactive process. People are not truly engaged in the discharge planning process, and people look at discharge planning as an event. But really, if we are working with an individual and returning them uh, to the community from the two state hospitals, it needs to be a process. Hansen reported the state has more than 500 ICF beds in total, with 70 openings. So that means we have untapped capacity. Some of uh, the group homes have empty beds, some of the group homes have been closed. So that also uh, contributes to our inability uh, to uh, discharge individuals. Mullins recommended the development of a pilot project for a community engagement specialist to facilitate community discharge placements. We have community engagement specialists for the general population, but we do not have them to assist with discharge planning for individuals with IDD. Mullins also suggested clarifying the responsibilities for discharge planning from state hospitals and offering training to existing workforce to improve outcomes. We'd also like to provide training around discharge planning and trauma-informed care to hospital staff and community-based providers. This is not just a one-spot problem. It's across our continuum, and we need to address it as such. Mullins said her department continues to identify areas of need and is currently assessing whether there is additional need for more group homes serving those with IDD. She recommended the formation of specialized care units for individuals with IDD that would respond to crises. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and, and Marshall Health. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Caroline McGregor is our assistant news director, and she produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Mm -hmm.